Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the conflict that existed between the Apostle Paul and the other apostles in Jerusalem. And of course, what I really want you to understand is that the Apostle Paul was teaching some things that were different compared to the people in Jerusalem. He was teaching that people did not need to live according to the law of Moses, whereas the church in Jerusalem was definitely teaching that. And the reason why he was teaching that people did not have to live in obedience to the law of Moses was because of forgiveness. And so because of that, I also have the opinion that the church in Jerusalem did not fully understand the implications of forgiveness. But for the moment, what I would like you to consider is how the church viewed the Apostle Paul. How did the apostles, the apostles in Jerusalem, James and John, and perhaps in some cases Peter, how did they really see the Apostle Paul? Who was he to them? This is something that I think is really important to consider. I really believe that we should take some time to think about how the church in Jerusalem would have perceived Paul, how they would look at him, because this would have a serious, a significant impact on how they would relate to him, on how they would pass judgments against him, on how they would speak to him, and on how they would perceive the people who he discipled. Now, of course, we don't have a whole lot of information that we could look at that would tell us how they viewed the Apostle Paul. So I'm going to just give you my opinion, what I would expect them to think, what I would expect them to believe, how I would expect them to treat him because of who he was, because of who they were, and because of the circumstances that they were in. You know, for us, this can be quite a challenge, because when we look at the New Testament, we can see that the majority of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And so for many of us, we may think that he was the predominant person who was functioning in the church. When we look at the book of Acts, we can see all of the things that occurred after the Apostle Paul went into the Gentile world and began to tell people about the Lord Jesus to spread the gospel into the surrounding nations And sometimes because there is so much about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and also in the letters that he wrote, we spend so much time studying what he wrote, we can make the assumption that he was the dominant personality, that he was the dominant individual, that he was the primary authority in the church during his time. But I don't see that being the case. I really don't. I don't think that people viewed him in the same way that they viewed the other apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, I believe that they viewed him as being somewhat of a second-class apostle in many ways. And there are some reasonable reasons why I believe people would look at him in that way. Now, of course, I'm just speculating, 
And so please don't hear this from the point of view of it is written that this is the case. I'm just speculating, but I think it's an important speculation because to me, in my opinion, it gives a much better perspective concerning the circumstances that Paul was in, especially when he wrote his letter to the Galatians. Now, the first thing that I would expect some of the apostles and elders in Jerusalem to think, one of the first things that I would expect them to think was, where were you when Jesus was here ministering? I mean, where was he? What was he doing? The apostle Paul, who back then was known as Saul, he was there, he was in the area, he was active, he was an adult in the land of Israel, And I would be surprised to discover that the Apostle Paul did not take some time to examine the claims of Jesus. I would expect that he would have heard Jesus himself personally at some point. He would have gone to see him speak or see him perform a miracle or something. I mean, there must have been something. Paul was going to Jerusalem at least three times a year, or at least I would expect him to be there three times a year. If he was as devoted as he was esteemed to be, he would definitely be there. And so if he was there and Jesus was there, there must have been opportunities for him to hear Jesus, see Jesus, maybe ask him a question or two. So the apostles could easily ask the question, so where were you? I mean, where were you? He was there. He was doing all these miracles. You knew about all of this and you still refused to believe in him. But you want to believe in him now? Is that the case? Now, of course, he had a significant emotional event when he was on the road to Damascus, and I can understand that. But from the apostles' point of view, I would expect that at some point they would ask this question of, Paul, where were you? I mean, why is it that you didn't believe when we believed? In fact, this might be held against him from a personal point of view, held against him in the sense that the apostles who did believe in Jesus before the apostle Paul, before Jesus died on the cross, they might assert a little bit of pride amongst themselves by saying, you know, we believed earlier. We were following Jesus earlier. We were devoted to him even when the whole world was against him, for the most part. But you weren't. And so we are different. We are special. We are unique. And you are not. That is one attitude that might exist towards the Apostle Paul by perhaps some of the elders, maybe by some of the apostles. Another issue that they might have with him would be the fact that the Apostle Paul was persecuting the church. We have this described in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9 that the Apostle Paul, before he came to know and discover that Jesus is truly the Messiah, He was persecuting the church, and so the apostles also might hold that against him. They might think of him as being a second-class apostle because he was persecuting the church. Sure, he believed later, but there were still some consequences associated with that. And so perhaps he owes them in some ways because he caused them a lot of problems. He persecuted a lot of the people. This could be something that they would perhaps hold against him. I, of course, am just speculating. I'm not saying that this is the case, but I would expect that this would be a question in their mind. This would be an attitude that some of the elders might hold to, that they might harbor in their hearts because of all the problems that he caused them to begin with. 
And now he believes, well, that's, that's nice, that's convenient, but what about all these other consequences? Who's going to pay for that? Another thing that very few people seem to consider is the fact that the Apostle Paul did not have a large following. We don't have many indications that there were a lot of people who were discipled by the Apostle Paul or who believed in Jesus because of his ministry. If you go through his letters, he speaks to individuals. He writes about individuals. If he had exposure and contact with thousands of people, it can be very difficult, it can be very awkward to try and address individual people when there's an enormous amount of people who would be reading his letters, who would be talking with each other. People could easily ask, who is he talking about? He's talking about this person and that person and greet this person, greet that person. We have no idea who these people are because there are so many people. But no, I believe that that is a reasonable indicator to show that the Apostle Paul did not have as big of an impact in terms of the number of people who were associated with him as the church in Jerusalem. You know, in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, it says that 3,000 people believed. In Acts chapter 4, verse 5, it says that 5,000 people believed. We don't have numbers like that described in the life, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. We can see 5 here, 10 there, 12 here, 20 there. We can find numbers, but we don't see numbers like this. And so because of that, it can be very easy to look at the Apostle Paul and see him again as a second-class apostle, as an apostle who is not necessarily as effective as the real apostles, you know, the ones in Jerusalem, the, the people who followed Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who were ministered to directly by Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul, he had a few moments with Jesus on the road, but Beyond that, there was not a lot of contact, as far as we can tell, between Jesus and the Apostle Paul. There were other people who weren't considered to be apostles who had more contact with Jesus than than Paul did. And so, considering the influence that the Apostle Paul had, really, in terms of numbers and in terms of contact with Jesus, it would be very easy for people to discount the Apostle Paul at that time. It would be very easy to see him as someone who they don't really need to take as seriously as they would perhaps if someone had thousands of people, 5,000, 10,000 people who were being discipled by this individual, who were paying attention to this individual. I deal with that with my own ministry. In the fellowships that I pastor, there are very few people there. That's just the way it's always been. And if you were to take a look at the number of people who I have contact with, I certainly have a lot of people who I have contact with But when you compare the numbers that I have with other people who have several orders of magnitude of greater numbers than I do, it's very easy to have a bias towards me and say something like, "Ah, you know, he's kind of a second-class pastor, second-class this, whatever, compared to these others who are first-class. You know, they've got all these people, and they've got radio stations all over the world and all that kind of stuff. It's very easy to make comparisons today and look at people today in the same way as I believe people would look at the Apostle Paul at this time. So people could easily ask these kinds of questions about the Apostle Paul. Where were you? And, you know, what about this persecution that you levied against us that we're still having to deal with the repercussions of? And what about all the numbers of people that we have compared to the numbers of people that you have? 
when you make comparisons like that, it can be very easy for people to look at the Apostle Paul and not take him that seriously. Because this is how people function in the world, in the flesh. In the spirit, it's always been different. But in the flesh and in the world, this is the bias that people have. And so it's very easy for people in the church to assume this bias as well. It's a very natural, normal bias that I would expect the elders and the apostles to have towards the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 21, towards the end of Paul's ministry, Acts chapter 21, verses 18 to 25, he was questioned by James and by others about what he was teaching. They questioned him about what he taught and took this position with him that they did not want to hear anything about what he thought he was teaching. All they wanted him to do was to show them and show all the people that he was living according to the law like he should be. If you read Acts chapter 21, verses 18 to 25, they don't give him a lot of room to talk. They don't give him a lot of room to build his case or to explain what he believes. They just dictate to him like he's some kind of problem in their lives. They don't respect the Apostle Paul in the way that I believe the apostles in Jerusalem should have respected him. They don't. And I think if you look at that passage in Acts chapter 21, you'll see that that you'll see that he was not held in very high regard. There's also the attitude that they had that he was to go to the Gentiles, and that was fine, but for the most part, the church in Jerusalem did not want him to talk to the Jews. And I believe that this would be consistent because of the differences that existed between the apostles in Jerusalem and the apostle Paul, especially when it came to the gospel, that they did teach, in many ways, a different gospel. They may have believed in the same Jesus, the same Messiah, the one who fulfilled the prophecies, but when it comes to how do we live our lives now, well, that was very different. So they had this attitude that it was okay for Paul to go and talk to the Gentiles, and that would make perfect sense, because for the most part, the Gentiles were also considered to be the unimportant They were unimportant because salvation was of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. The Jewish nation, the Israelite nation, was the chosen people of God. The Gentiles were not the chosen people of God. They were the others. And so it was acceptable for Paul to go to the unimportant. But to go to the important, to teach the important, what he was teaching the unimportant, that was a problem. That was a very serious problem between Paul and the church in Jerusalem. Now, was he really an apostle? Did they really recognize him as an apostle? This is a very important question. I mean, we speak about him as being the apostle Paul all the time. He refers to himself as an apostle. We know that there were a lot of people who considered him to be an apostle. But did the church in Jerusalem ever really consider him as an apostle? Did he really meet the qualifications and the criteria that they would have established for him to be an apostle? Considering what he taught, would they really want to acknowledge him as an apostle? These are important questions to ask. And honestly, I don't think that the apostles and the elders looked at him as an apostle. I wonder about that. I wonder about that a lot. I wonder if they really saw him as an apostle, and if they did, 
Did they really see him as an apostle in the way that they saw themselves? That also would be different, potentially very different. Now, towards the end of Paul's ministry, he had a major conflict in Jerusalem. A major conflict. He was arrested in Jerusalem, and he was never set free until he died. He eventually died in Rome. He experienced a significant amount of persecution. Now, here's a question that I have that I look forward to getting answered one day, and it will probably be answered in heaven. And that question is, where was the church when Paul was being persecuted? Where was the church when he was imprisoned? Where was the church during his time of need? Here is a man who did a lot for them. He collected money from the churches in the Gentile world and brought that to Jerusalem himself. He made contributions towards their efforts, towards their concerns. But when he had his time of need, where were they? What were they doing? Did they do anything in order to try to set him free or at least do anything to perhaps alleviate some of the pain and suffering that he was experiencing? Did they do anything to attempt to minister to him at all, in any way, a man who was being persecuted for the faith, the very faith that they claimed was the same. And as far as I can tell, they did nothing. And I believe that the reason why they probably did nothing was because they did not agree with him concerning the gospel and how we are to live our lives in light of what Jesus has done for us. So these are the things that I think need to be mentioned, that people need to consider about the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem and how they might have perceived the Apostle Paul. I think it's very important to consider this, because if you consider this, then you can also appreciate how the Apostle Paul might have viewed them. Now, I believe that he viewed them highly. I believe that he considered them to be important. I do for him to take time out of his life to go and speak with them, visit with them, to even go to their council meetings and hear what they had to say. To me, that's an indication that he cared. But that didn't mean that he necessarily viewed them in the same way that he saw himself. He may have recognized them as apostles, but he might have viewed himself as a different kind of apostle, as a different apostle, than they were. And so I wanted to take some time to mention the social climate that would probably exist in the early church, especially between Paul and the other apostles and elders in Jerusalem. Because if you don't understand that there were some problems, if you don't understand that, then you're not going to understand why Paul would talk about the problems that they had. Because in his letter that he wrote to the Galatians, He did talk about the problems that he had with these people, with the apostles. He did speak about these issues. And so if you don't recognize these conflicts, if you don't recognize the disagreements, then there will be a number of passages that you'll just have to skip over because you're not going to understand what Paul was talking about or why. And so beginning in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. For him to declare himself to be an apostle 
would be a way of saying that he is at least on par, that he is at least equitable in authority, just as somebody else might have declared authority. Now, to be an apostle in this context, what this means is, is that he has been sent out by the Lord Jesus to communicate a message. In verse 2, he wrote, And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, for him to say, all the brethren who are with me, and not just name two or three, that says a lot, because he had very few followers. He had very few brethren who were with him, who worked with him, who learned from him as well. He had very few, and so for him to say all, for him to throw that word in there, in a sense, he is declaring himself to be of significance in a worldly context, in the sense that there were a number of people. It wasn't as if he was some obscure person who nobody listened to anyway, but they were foolish enough to listen to. He was asserting that he's not that kind of an individual, but he is someone who is not alone when it comes to the things that he believes, the things that he teaches. In verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, he introduces the subject of forgiveness by saying that Jesus gave himself for our sins. This was the fundamental issue that separated him from the church in Jerusalem. Because he believed that the forgiveness of sins set people free from the law. They did not believe that the forgiveness of sins set people free from the law because they were still living according to the law. And so he begins his letter by asserting the very thing, the fundamental truth that would divide him from anyone else who would assert themselves as being a believer in the Lord Jesus. It is forgiveness. Now, I have done a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness. He also mentions the will of God, and I did some programs on the will of God. If you have not heard the programs I have done on forgiveness, the will of God, prayer, and also our identity in Christ, you really need to listen to these programs. I would encourage you to listen to these programs before you listen to the programs that I'm producing in this current series on the book of Galatians. They are that important. Again, that's forgiveness, the will of God, prayer, and our identity in Christ. And in those programs, I explain, you have to listen to all of them, I explain all of the important issues that you need to understand in order to fully appreciate verse 4. But for now, what I would like you to really consider is, are you forgiven or are you not forgiven? If you do not believe that you are already forgiven because of what Jesus has done for you, because he died on the cross for the sins of humanity, if you don't believe that he dealt with sin once and for all, if that's the case, then you do not really believe in the forgiveness that I believe is real, is true, is the forgiveness that Jesus came to give. This was the dividing point. This was the separation between the Apostle Paul 
and the church in Jerusalem. And the reason why I say that is because the implications of forgiveness would answer these questions that the people were raising. Do you need to obey the law in order to be saved? If you don't obey the law, does that mean you might not be saved? Things like that. Should we be living according to the commandments of God or not? These questions are answered through forgiveness. Now, this can be a very difficult thing for people to talk about or consider because in some cases, a person will say, yes, I'm forgiven, I believe in forgiveness, but in other cases, they don't. When do they believe in it? When do they not believe in it? I'm going to make it very simple. If at any time in your life, you call upon God for forgiveness, then you do not believe that you have already been forgiven. Again, if at any time in your life you call upon God for forgiveness in any way whatsoever, then you do not believe that you already have forgiveness. That would be a total contradiction. You can't live in both simultaneously without redefining sin or redefining forgiveness or coming up with several different types of forgiveness. People do this, and I personally just don't buy any of it. I think it's all a bunch of garbage. Now, is there any indication that maybe the church in Jerusalem did not believe in forgiveness? They did not believe that they were totally forgiven of all of their sins. There is. If you take a look at the book of James, the letter that James wrote, and you study it very carefully, you will see that there is no indication that James believed that we were forgiven. James had a lot of really good things to say, and I enjoy reading the letter that he wrote. But there is something that is very noticeable to me, and that is that he doesn't say anything about forgiveness, except at the end. At the end of his letter, he does talk about forgiveness, but only in the context of if you will pray when you are sick or you are suffering, then you will be forgiven. That, to me, is an indication that you are not, but you will be. Or confess your sins to each other, and you can be forgiven amongst each other. But when it comes to you and your God, you may or you may not be forgiven. This, to me, is an indication that the subject of forgiveness was the root issue that separated the Apostle Paul from the church in Jerusalem. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.